Good morning, church family. Thank you for tuning in again this week. Um, we're very hopeful that this is our last week to do this. So our governor has kind of pushed back plans just a little bit, but I think um, we're probably going to plan on trying to have a in-person service uh, next week. So we will be sending out an email this week and have a lot of instructions and I'm sorry about all the rules that are going to be a part of that, but we're going to try to abide by all the things that we need to, so please be looking um, for that email coming out, and um, we will continue to do our online things as well. Um, it's going to be, I think, a while before we can get back to Sunday school and, and life group, so that will be a while yet, but hopefully next week we'll have an in-person in -person church service, so that'll be great. Um, I would mention again, um, continue, continue giving. So we'd appreciate it if you'd continue to do that. There, I think, is a new way to give online. So you can get on our website. Um, you can also mail checks and bring them in to Lisa. That would be great. The ministry still goes on. Um, today, we are going to be hearing from Pastor out of Ephesians again about being, the, about being light in the Lord. And in that vein, I would like to open up this morning with um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for a beautiful morning and a chance to gather together and worship you. We thank you that you are a sovereign God, that you are in control of all the events that happen in our lives and in our world, and we take comfort in that, Lord. We thank you that you have given us your word, that we can learn from it, that we can know how to live and how to live well. I pray that we will be good students of your word, that we would put what we learn into practice. Um, I just pray that you'll be with um, our whole congregation as we gather together in this fashion, that um, you will keep us knit together, that we can come back in a limited fashion next week and see each other face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.
Pray the prayer with no reply. Words float off into the night. Couldn't cut out down with the sharpest knife. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 9 today, and we're going to be talking with uh, two major themes. One is the difference between darkness and light, and the other one is the difference between what kind of a father I have or don't have. So I want to show you the first picture here and have you get a look at that. And uh, there's your picture. And I want you to think about this because I'm going to show you another picture as to what it looks like when it's not uh, dark outside. So uh, you, you want to see the difference between the dark and the light. This is what's uh, going on in the dark. Imagine you're uh, walking along and you're going to try to find how to go, and then the light comes on, and this is what you see. Boy, uh, it's a good thing we have the light, right? I mean, that looks like quite a drop-off if I didn't know where I was going. 
That's the difference between what it means to be a non-believer in Christ and to be a believer. Uh, the Bible says that the unbeliever walks in darkness, but we walk in the light. We can find our way on the trail and the path, and we're saved. Now, I'd like to show you the other part of that, the difference in fathers that we can have. Uh, it makes a difference who your dad is. It makes a difference what he's like and what, and what he, uh, I love that picture. Uh, I think that's a McDonald's french fry hanging out of his mouth over there. Uh, doesn't really seem to care about things. Uh, we can just imagine if that's my dad, things aren't going to uh, go well for me in life or I'm at least going to have to work on it. Uh, then there's other dads that do a great job. And this is the difference between uh, the father of Satan that people have and then the father of God. Uh, because this is a father that obviously cares, he loves his child, and he's out there doing the right thing. And we have a father in heaven who always does the right thing, and he's not like uh, the little G God of this world or the father of this world. So I want us to think about the difference between darkness and light, uh, what is false and what is true, and what we have in our father God as opposed to what unbelievers are following.
are, God. Help us to uh, remember that. Help us to live life for you. Help us to open our hearts and our minds to Pastor's message this morning that we may not only hear it, but we may live it, but we may, uh, may be a good steward for you here on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. say good morning again and thanks to those of you who are joining us uh, on a video link somewhere somehow glad to have you with us and uh, as Dr. Miller mentioned I'm really looking forward to at least having uh, some of you get to come back next Sunday if that all works out so uh, we'll try to keep you informed this week as we go along if you take your Bibles please let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 6 through 9 I hope you have a Bible with you and We'll see uh, what what the Word of God has to say for us this morning. Now, because I've tripped and fallen and run into things in the middle of the night, I am not really a big fan of the dark. If you gave me a choice between light and dark, I'd probably take the light. Sometimes it's really dangerous to get around in the dark, you know, because you run into things, you trip, you fall, or there's things that somebody put there that weren't there before. And I just wondered, have you, have you ever gone downstairs in the dark and maybe you know, like if I go downstairs in the parsonage, I know it's exactly 12 steps, and then maybe um, forget where you were when you were counting and you're in the dark and you can't reach the light anymore because you're halfway down. And so you get down there and uh, one, one either stiff legs uh, too high and trips on the front edge of the next step down uh, that he missed or he plummets down too far and can't recover. Uh, one that I did uh, one time here in the uh, new edition of the church. I was going downstairs in the dark, and I expected another step, and I bent my knee. Well, the step wasn't there, so I went down further. Uh, just about hit my head on the door into the junior high room, and I decided, you know, we could afford for me to turn the light on next time. That's what I want to do. I remember years and years ago, I was told the story of a man who uh, would get up in the middle of the night, probably go to the restroom, and he would get up, and in order not to wake up his wife, he kept the lights off, and he, he put his hand out here like this, make sure that he didn't run into anything. And then one night, he's walking along, and a door came, was open, and it came right down between his hands and hit him in the head, just about knocked him out, gave him a bloody nose. So he said, I changed my strategy. I now walk around the house like this, and that way I don't get into that trouble. I uh, was young when we went to Carlsbad Caverns, and that was quite a great experience to go down in that cave. And I don't know how it is today, but uh, there was a trail that you walk down. You go way down deep into that particular cave. And when you got down to the bottom, or at least as far as they would let us go, they had a great big cafeteria there. And I remember, uh, I didn't really like being in the dark, but this guy said, okay, we're going to show you just how dark dark is and how black it can be. And so he said, now I want everybody to, to be ready. We're going to shut the lights off. And they did. They shut the lights off. And they kind of let our eyes uh, get used to the dark. And he said, it is so dark in here. Uh, I, wanna, I want you to take your hand and hold it in front of your face and, and, and wiggle your fingers and see if you can even see those fingers wiggling. How, how many of you in the studio audience have been to Carlsbad Cavern and done that? Absolutely no one. Okay, well, maybe uh, somebody at home has done that. 
I just remember how stupid it felt when they just flipped on the lights and the whole crowd is standing around going like this to themselves. And uh, they did prove their point. Uh, you can't see anything in the dark. You don't really know what's going on. You wish that you could, and you need the light. But in the light, that is where we are shown things that we need to know, shown, showing us things that tell us where we're at and what has to happen. The Bible uses this kind of imagery between light and darkness, which is going to be the difference between truth and falsehood. The Bible shows us this imagery everywhere, especially in the New Testament. A life of forgiveness through Jesus Christ is the life, of, uh, the life that is full of light. Christ is the light that shines in the darkness. In the light, we can see clearly, like up on that path there. I would hate to be in that first picture where I couldn't see what was ahead of me, and I'm on the side of a mountain. I really need to know uh, exactly where that big path is and that it doesn't have any handrails. I need to walk a, walk a good line there. Uh, we are in danger when we're in the dark, when we don't have God's truth. Jesus said he is the light of the world. For just a second, if you want to turn back to John chapter 1 with me, um, I want to focus uh, there's a, quite a few verses on him being the light, but verse 4, it says, In him, that's capitalized, that personal pronoun, that's referring to Jesus Christ, who we just learned was the word of God and is God. It, it says, In him was life, and the life, notice, the life was the light of men. There is no other. The light shines in the darkness. That's what this evil world was plunged into with Adam and Eve's sin. And the darkness notice, did not comprehend it. We must find the light. We cannot continue to go in darkness or we're not going to make this trip in life where God wants us to end up and be. Let's look at our text now in Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to read verses 6 through 9. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what is he talking about? What question is he answering from the Ephesians uh, that they've been deceived by or could be deceived by? Verse 7, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, we do know that he just mentioned in verses 4 and 5 things that should not be a part of the Christian's life. Uh, we also talked about the fact that last week that if somebody practices, practices these things, they will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, that's really an important thing, to have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. These people won't because they show by their actions that they have not seen the light. They're not dwelling in the light, but they're walking in the darkness. Verse 7, therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, that means when you were without Christ, but now you are light in the Lord because that's where the light comes from. And the command is, walk as children of the light. Notice the distinction. Verse 6, sons of disobedience and darkness. And now verse 8, children of light, sons of God and daughters of God. Verse 9, for the fruit of the light. In other words, what does the light produce in a person's life? Consists in all goodness and righteousness and in truth. Right, let's back up and go to verse 6 and see what we can learn uh, that God has for us here. First of all, in verse 6, what we learn is this. Don't be deceived. The wrath of God will come upon those who disobey God. Don't be deceived. The wrath of God is coming upon those who disobey God. 
we are asking ourselves, because Paul is writing a letter to real people about real issues, what is Paul fighting for in this passage with the lives of the Ephesian believers? And I think the answer it has to be made up from what, what he says is the solution. It seems that perhaps there are those in Ephesus who are saying, or maybe living in such a way as to say, that sin, now that you're a Christian, has no consequences that we don't have to worry about it as believers. We came to the place where we realized we are freed from, from the sin and death of the law through Jesus Christ, and in that freedom, we, we're not going to have it, God hold any sins against us. Uh, Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. People wrongly take that freedom and just decide, I can do whatever I want to do. God doesn't care if I sin. It's okay. It's already taken care of. I think that's what he's getting at. Paul is making certain that we understand that there is a difference between the deeds of our former darkness, the way we used to live without concern for God, and those were done in sin, and where we should be now, the deeds of those who walk according to the light in righteousness. In other words, the light is on. We have no excuse to walk like we're in the dark anymore. And Jesus shines that light in our life. Those deeds are in an indication of what the true spiritual condition of a person's heart is. The Bible says you will know them by their fruits, the way they live, the choices they make, how they serve God or don't serve God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, Paul says. The empty words might be that it is somehow of no consequence to our relationship with God how we live as Christians, but there is, there is a consequence. It's not, it's not the loss of our salvation, it's the loss of our reward in heaven. And the Bible tells us that Jesus wants us to work in such a way as to gain that reward. It could be that people are saying in Ephesus that you don't have to worry about doing wrong anymore. And by the way, uh, there was other groups of people that picked up on that. Paul says we are always taking the right premise in the Bible and drawing the wrong conclusion from it. We have to be careful about that. Sin still matters to God. What we do still matters to God. Uh, he, he didn't set us free to sin. Uh, those to whom sin doesn't matter are people who are in danger of the fires of eternal punishment. We've come out from them. So we certainly don't want to live like them any longer because we have the light. We have no excuse. The content of the empty words is given to us, I think, in verses 3 through 5. All sin is empty, deceptive to the human soul. And they shine a light on the true nature of our souls if we practice them. And the light shined on the unbeliever is that there is darkness there. And it shows us for what we are if we live that way. This is a sobering passage. We talked a little bit about that last, last time. We have all done some of the sins that were mentioned so far in this chapter as sometime or another. Maybe not all of them, but some of them. And I think what is in view here is the way of life. Not temporary or sporadic lapses in judgment and occasional sin. Because it says those who practice such things do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so we learn that if a person's way of life is to not care about God and sin in these ways and nobody seems to stop them and they don't stop themselves, if that's the way they live and they have no concern for God, the truth of the matter is they don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, I hope you don't think that I just said that it's okay with God if we have occasional sin in our lives. I didn't say that. 
don't hear what I'm not saying. God does still care about sin. We need to keep short accounts with God. If we live as Christians in sin, we can invite the enemy to take a base of operation in our life. We can get into all kinds of trouble. Uh, God will not use us for his good work if we are not obeying him and following him and loving him. I mean to say that if we sin, we still have an advocate with God in Christ. We can still gain forgiveness. This is talking about people who don't care about forgiveness, don't care about what God thinks, and they continue in these sins. God is saying, when the truth of the light of Christ shines on them, we find out they're wicked and evil. They have no place with God. So please note, it says, the wrath of God is coming upon the people who are disobedient to God. And here's how they live, by the way, and he gave us that. Disobedience is their way of life. They have no concern for God. It is their choice for how to live. Oftentimes they choose not to do things that are righteous and good. The true child of God is not destined to suffer the wrath of God. They are forgiven. So we have a number of truths going on here. So the Romans said to Paul, well, then we should sin so that the grace of God might abound. And Paul said, may it never be. Uh, yes, you're under God's grace. Yes, you're forgiven. There's no, no problem with that. But if your conclusion is, then we can go out and, and sin a lot, and God's going to look greater at the end of it because of his great grace. Paul says, that grieves the heart of God. That's not the way he wants his children to live. Paul clearly states that one who practices these sins and others are people who will suffer firsthand the knowledge of what it's like to be under the wrath of God in eternity. They are not sons and daughters of God, those who do that. They are sons and daughters of disobedience, according to this verse. They have a different father than we do. Just look over maybe one page in your Bible. It is with mine, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul was talking about the fact that before Christ you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked. And that's what he's talking about in our passage today. That's the way we used to live. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan and his demons, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The father, basically, to those who don't know Christ, is not a good father. It's Satan himself. And then if you would, turn to Colossians 3, 5 to 9. There it says this. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body, he's talking to Christians, as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. That's the worship of a different God. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come on the sons of disobedience. There they are again. And in them you also once walked, lived. That was your manner of life for you and I uh, when you were living in them. But now, things are different. Things change. So we have this strong contrast in the text. But now, he says, you also put them all aside. Things like anger, wrath, malice, slandering others, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And you put on the new self. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. It's his native language. Believers don't speak that language anymore. See, we are children of obedience to God. We belong to God. Who a person's father is makes all the difference in how that person lives. A father who is a good father is still going to be a sinner, but he's going to produce much better children than a father who doesn't care, 
who's drunk all the time, who abuses his children. Those children struggle. They have a terrible time. Well, that second one, that's what Satan's like. He abuses children. He takes advantage of them. He manipulates them. He wants to kill them, steal life from them, or destroy them. Not our father. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. So we tell others what is in our heart by the way that we live, the way we treat God, or the way we uh, uh, treat that which isn't belonging to God, that we love that. The purpose of the wrath of God is to punish sinners. It's what the book of Revelation is all about. He must do this because he is holy. God must punish sin. Um, don't get stuck here because you can escape God's wrath for free by salvation in Christ. To believe that his blood paid for your sins on the cross and that that now is your confidence in having your sins forgiven. Belief is the way to go. Now let's look at the last part of our passage, verses 7 through 9. There we learn that we refuse to participate in sin with those who live it every day. Instead, we bear the fruit of living in the light. So now you're going to be asking yourself, okay, I don't, I, I don't want to live in the darkness. I don't want to be lost in that, but I want to live as a child of the light. What kind of fruit should I produce as a child of the light? So we'll talk about that. Verse 7 uh, in our text says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't live the way they live. We don't share in the sins of those who have no concern about sin in their life. We are concerned about it. They're not. We don't cast our lot with those who do the empty things of sin, no matter how much fun it looks like they're having on the outside. Darkness is like the great depth of the sea. There is danger there but you don't know it until it's too late because you don't see it, you don't recognize it, you don't know that it's there to kill you. We are not to be an accomplice in the plots of the wicked. Proverbs warns us everywhere not to do that. We are not to go along with them <clears throat> in their evil. Uh, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians and chapter 5. I want to read verses 9 through 13 as we think about what I just said there. Paul says to the Corinthians, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. You don't hang out with them. You don't do uh, close, intimate things with them. You don't follow them in their plots or their immorality. Paul says, I told you not, not to associate with immoral people. Now, Paul said, I need to, I need to get this straightened out uh, because you, you, mis, you mistook me <clears throat> when I talked about this before. Now he's writing this letter. Verse 10, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world. He means the people that are living in darkness, the people without Christ. I didn't mean those people, Paul says, uh, those people of the world, or with covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. Paul said, now listen, I, I told you not to associate with immoral people, but I didn't mean uh, the sinful people of the world, those people that are still in darkness, because to do that, you'd have to leave this world because they're everywhere. Paul says, I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. But here's what he, does, he did say. Here's what I want you to know. But actually, Paul says, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, don't even eat with such a one. Uh, this is something that uh, Christians don't like to do. We don't like to admit that our friends are in our family. We have people that live like this, 
And who does God think he is telling us don't even eat with such a one? Why would you even say that? What kind of a hateful person is God? And what kind of hateful people would be, we be if that was the case? Well, um, I'm not really interested in the opinion of darkness in this world on the issues of the light. And that's where that's coming from. Paul is saying, if you have somebody that is in your fellowship who claims to be a brother or sister, a child of righteousness of God, and they live according to the former world, the former darkness, Paul says, don't associate with that person. Now, that is both to help them be convicted of their sin they're in, if they're really a, a believer, or it may be help, helping them to see that they, they don't really belong to God and they need to get their act together with Jesus. Because many false brethren have uh, snuck into the church, not only in Paul's day, but it happens in our day as well. Paul says, here's the reasoning in verse 12. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? The answer to that rhetorical question is nothing. It is not our job to judge those who are living in the darkness. It is not our job to judge their, their immorality. Now, God is talking about final judgment, passing judgment. God will take care of that on the day of their reckoning before him and his throne. That's not our business. Do you not judge those who are within the church? See, that's why he said, I'm talking about a so-called believer, whether he is or not. That person who claims to be in your group yeah, you make, you make a judgment about the way they're living because it's not the way God has said to live. And by the way, if you go back to Matthew 7, you find out don't be working on the big log in, uh, or the little splinter, excuse me, in somebody else's eye when you have a log in your own. Don't be a hypocritical judge. I've seen it many times in my life where somebody who's committed adultery judges another adulterer and they're both still doing it. That's out of place. That, that's not the kind of judgment God says. Take care of that, that log in your own eye, then you can see clearly to uh, help others see problems in their life. You judge those within the church. But those who are on the outside, look at it, God judges them. So don't worry about that. So Paul is saying, because there is somebody in sin, in incest, incest in sin in the church in Corinth, and he says, get the wicked man out from among yourselves. That's church discipline. He's trying to find a way to bring him to Christ. And so that's, that what, that's what goes on. We certainly will associate with the wicked of this world. We certainly will love them. We love them because we want to see them come to the light. But we're not to participate with them in evil. We may not be able to go to everything they invite us to, unless they've just quit inviting us because we're no fun anymore or something like that. We may have to, we may have to leave if things turn towards evil if we are with them. And they'll probably make fun of you if you leave halfway through because things aren't the way you like, because they feel condemned. But God says don't participate in the way that they live. So I have to have boundaries and I have to set limits. No, I don't think we should smoke a joint to fit in. And I would say that even if it was illegal in Kansas, which it's not. Getting drunk is still a sin for us. It still is. God doesn't say we can't drink alcohol. He says you can't get drunk. Telling dirty jokes is not on our list of things that we can participate in. These are all things for which the wrath of God will come upon men. See, we, we don't want to do the things that God is upset about. And can I ask, how is it that culturally acceptable things, which we'll call sins, become acceptable to God's people? How does that happen in our life? 
How is it that the hollow uh, arguments of sin win over in our hearts so that we do the things that they desire and we crave those things? We do understand that it is only the power of God that is able to help us to overcome the sinful nature that still abides in our flesh, right? So we need to call out for God. God will help us if we take a step in his direction. In verse 8, here is the great before and after for the believer. If Christ is our Savior, then we are no longer children of darkness who serve Satan, uh, the Lord of darkness. No, we're making a different choice because we have a different father. We don't follow any longer the empty words of the down with Jesus movement that is so popular now in the world and in America. Darkness is ignorance, error, evil, and immorality as a way of life. It is being lost in sin and headed for what the Bible calls outer darkness or a place that today is called hell and someday will be the lake of fire. Uh, Matthew 25:30 talks about those in outer darkness. We are now light in the Lord, so understandably we are to conduct our manner of life as those who live for Jesus. God's light is the way, the truth, and the life. Light is in opposition to the darkness. Someone said walking as children of the light is, is uh, the way that we should go. That's what it says. That is in the Greek present tense, so it has the meaning of habitual way of conduct for us as believers. This is the way we do it. Now, yeah, we, we mess up sometimes. We sin. God forgives. When we, when we stick our foot back in the darkness for a while, uh, we get that right with God and we move forward with him. When the light is on, we have no excuse to stumble in life over things that the unbelievers are completely blinded to. The light is the truth and protects us from taking the dark path. The point is, why would we live in the darkness when we have the light? It would be like carrying a floodlight in the dark down a dangerous trail and never turning it on. It's no good if it uh, isn't on. How foolish that would be. In verse 9, if you and I are walking in, if you and I are walking in the light, then we are bearing fruit of such a walk. So the Bible does say you can tell if somebody's walking in the light by the fruit that they produce. All right, so let's look at a second. Well, let me say this. The, the products, the fruit of walking in the light, the Bible says here, consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, I want you to see in the Old Testament it was the same thing. If they came to God by faith and walked with him, it was the same thing. Look back at 2 Chronicles 31. 1 and 2 Samuels, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Way near the back of that book. There was a king. He wasn't perfect, but he decided to follow God. And he walked with God. And in verse 20 of 2 Chronicles 31, which I believe is a direct relation to Ephesians 5.9, Thus, Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right before Yahweh his God, and he did what was good and right and true before Yahweh his God. And look what we have in, in chapter uh, 5, verse, verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Apparently, Hezekiah was a man 
who knew how to walk in the light. Fruit is something that is yielded by a plant. That's normally what we think and grows. So I like pecans, uh, roasted and salted. I have them on my cereal or my oatmeal about every morning. Even in some Captain Crunch I had this week, which I thought was pretty good. What do you expect from a pecan tree? Everybody I know that raises pecans down in Texas, they expect that there's going to be pecans on that tree. Well, what would you think if you went out into a grove of orange trees, what you're going to find? <clears throat> we think we're going to find oranges. So when you're with a Christian, what do you expect they're going to be like? What do you expect you're going to find with him or her? Instead of the sinful things mentioned in verses 3 to 5, our fruit is going to be all goodness, righteousness, and truth. We need to remember that light and darkness, according to the Bible, cannot peacefully coexist together. So we're not unequally joined with the darkness. Goodness can be thought of as positive moral qualities characterized especially by interest in the welfare of others. It can be thought of as kindness. Righteousness is thought of as the quality of judicial responsibility with a focus on fairness, justice, equitableness. It is upright behavior. And truth is to be in accord with what is true, upright, and dependable. And friends, God tells us that he is truth, and his word is truth. So the foundation of truth for the universe, and I say this because I am a theist, and I believe in one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that he is the creator God, and that he is the one who gives us truth. Satan never gives truth. He is a liar and the father of lies. So we find this truth in the teaching of the Bible. We have the great privilege of showing the world of darkness a shining light in their lives because we think they need it. They need Jesus. They need to have eternal life. And they need to live a life that counts for something good. And Jesus can provide that. The light we serve, we believe, is a better life for people, even though folks in the dark are saying that Christianity is not the way to go. No, just don't like it. We say it is the way to go. We say it is likable, and, and you find love there, which you will never find in the darkness. It is the light where we find safety, meaning in life, satisfaction in life, eternal significance in life, and salvation. I'm going to just read here from Matthew chapter 5. Verses 14 to 16. Jesus said this to those who believe in him. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He means everybody can see it. So here's the illustration. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So he says to the believers, let your light so shine before men. See, that's why we're here. Somebody was the light to us. Maybe a mom, a dad, a Sunday school teacher, a friend uh, told you about the light and the word of God, and you came to the light. That's what we're here for. Tell others about it. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's, that's what our job is. If we don't show those who are in the darkness true goodness and righteousness and truth, 
They will not have a chance to experience it. We cannot be a light in the world by becoming like darkness. Jesus said, you don't put out a light and then cover it. You, you uncover it to let everyone see. If we're truly of the light, these three character qualities will be ours. They're the fruit of, of, of light. They should be ours if we know Christ. If not, let's get on our knees and get right with God. Let's ask his forgiveness. Let's ask him to destroy any base of operation we've given to the enemy in our life. And let's move forward in our relationship so we can count for him in eternity. And other people will be thankful that you were willing to live the light in their darkness so they could come to the light. Let me end with these three things. Saying sin doesn't matter to God is an empty, untrue, destructive statement. Don't be deceived. God does care about our sin as Christians. Let's just take care of it. He's a forgiving God. Number two, we are to live by Christ's power as light to those in darkness. A light doesn't shut itself off when it's in the darkness. It shines. We then thirdly, we know we have the light if we strive for God's goodness, righteousness, and truth in our lives. I wanted to end this morning uh, with an illustration that was written by Lucy Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll's daughter. And she says this, a friend of mine was caught on an elevator and there was a power failure. At first there was momentary panic as all seven strangers talked at once. Then my friend remembered that in his pocket was a tiny flashlight. And when he turned it on in the elevator, the fear dissipated. It took 45 minutes for them to get out of that elevator, but while they were stuck together, they told jokes, they laughed, and even sang. Ephesians 5.8 says, if you will, and she puts it this way, that we are that flashlight that God is talking about. Just as that flashlight draws power from its batteries, we draw power from Jesus to continue in the light. And as light, we dissipate fear, being, being, uh, bring relief, lift spirits, and introduce people to our Jesus who loves them. We don't even have to be that big to be effective. <laughs> we just have to be on. That's all. We're going to invite Dr. Overmiller to come and close our service together. Let's pray that we go on as lights in the world. Will you bow with me and receive the benediction? And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.